This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, the biggest mistakes in navigating the decline of aging for our loved ones or ourselves. We wait too long to have these conversations. You know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we are all going to get older. Planning for the inevitable when Radio Health Journal returns. Two new studies show that uninsured heart attack, stroke, or heart bypass patients are likely to suffer a personal financial catastrophe. The studies, which were presented at the American Heart Association's scientific sessions, found that 15% of heart attack and stroke patients and 9% of heart bypass patients were uninsured before passage of the Affordable Care Act, and more than three-quarters of each group experienced catastrophic hospitalization costs. Dr. Rowan Kara of the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas was lead author of one study. Medical bankruptcy is the leading cause of bankruptcy in the United States. A substantial number of people are still uninsured, but the Affordable Care Act increased those who do have insurance. Median hospitalization charges for strokes were more than $31,000, for heart attacks more than $53,000, and coronary artery bypass surgeries ranged as high as $177,000. Melanie Merriman says her mother was 90 before she got old, or perhaps more correctly, before her mom decided it was okay to get old. But it had really started long before. I didn't necessarily know how much help she really needed, but somebody who's there more often, in this case it was her best friend, clued me in. You know, she let me know that the neighbor upstairs was bringing my mother meals a couple of times a week. My mother never revealed that to me. So it's partly that... They just don't want you to know, and it's partly that it's difficult to see. That surprised Merriman. She'd been a longtime consultant in hospice care and figured she was prepared. But in reality, she says, hardly anyone really is. It's a time of life that's in between. There is this period in the life of many people when it becomes more and more difficult to live well without some kind of assistance. And what we find is that as people get older, as they age, their senses dull, their muscles weaken, their thought processes slow. And when that starts to happen, and that could be in the late 70s or 80s, navigating everyday life can feel like walking on a tightrope. And what I found in talking to a lot of people is that we're getting better and better at thinking about the end of life and preparing for death and dying. But we still sort of fail to think about this period that comes in between a fully active and independent life and the time when we're actually at the end of life. That's why Merriman calls her book Holding the Net, Caring for My Mother on the Tightrope of Aging. One of the things about this period is that it comes on slowly. And in so many cases, of course, families don't necessarily live close to each other anymore. Even in my case, I saw my mother really fairly often as she was aging. I traveled a lot for business, and I had a hospice client, actually, that was right down the street. So I saw her fairly often. But one of the things is that she was changing very slowly. When changes are slow, it's difficult to see when there's really been what's an incremental change suddenly becomes a change that you need to react to, that you really need to do something. At the same time, I find that older people in our 
very youth-obsessed society. No one wants to be old. No one wants to seem old. And so they'll hide things. Emotionally, it can be extremely difficult. The tightrope can become a tug of war. When a family feels they have to react and bring in some help, an aging parent may have none of it. One of the real issues is that as people get to the point where they really need some assistance, they don't necessarily want that assistance or even necessarily recognize the need for that assistance. So some of the things that happen with families is that there's a real tension and a need for some balance around how much to intervene. If you're the child, for example, of a parent who's really entering this tightrope of aging period, you will probably find that many of your concerns will be rebuffed, sometimes rather unkindly. <laughs> and there's this, this need to sort of constantly balance between wanting to respect the autonomy of the older person, wanting them to have as much independence as possible, but also wanting to keep them safe. How much should the family insist when an older parent refuses to accept any accommodation, when they refuse a needed walker, in-home help, or even to consider moving out of their longtime home? Merriman says their wishes certainly have to be considered, but you probably should have talked about it a long time ago. We wait too long to have these conversations, to talk about these things. You know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we are all going to get older. <laughs> it may not be happening right now. It may not be happening next year. But on some level, you don't even know exactly when they're going to enter this tightrope phase. And the best possible thing you can do is force yourself really to think about this ahead of time. It's one of those things where when everybody is really ready to talk about this, it's definitely too late to be proactive because nobody wants to talk about it until there's been some sort of a crisis already. However, you can prepare for only so much. Make a plan, but be sure it's not set in stone. You're going to have to be nimble and be prepared to revise it because things may happen faster than you thought they were or there may be a change that you didn't expect at all. There may be a fall. There may be an illness. You just don't really know. But the kinds of things that you can talk about way up front are things like what really is most important to your parent in terms of their quality of life. And again, ideally, you're having this conversation while they're still enjoying a high quality of life. Merriman says the conversation should also include what an aging parent expects of her children and what her children can reasonably expect of themselves. So many families live distant from one another. In my family, we never even talked about the possibility of my mother moving to live nearer to either my sister or myself until she really needed to move. And at that point, it was such a frightening conversation for her. And we should have done that much further in advance, gotten on the same page about whether she was going to move, and if so, was it going to be to where I lived or to where my sister lived? Or did she have this unrealistic expectation that we might move to where she was? And we needed to sort of hash that out as a family. Talking with family members long in advance is a wise move, but it may be even more important to think about and plan for what you want for yourself if you don't have family members to depend on. 
Fewer Americans have family ties today, so they may have to face aging alone. They definitely could be doing it alone if they don't make a plan to have relationships in their lives. So it's a real possibility for all of us. Even if we're coupled up now, there's a good chance that we won't have our partners later on. And never mind about the children, because they're often running in every direction. And they rightfully so, have to live their own lives. We've raised them to be independent and hardworking people. So are we going to be able to count on them when we need their help? Maybe not. That's Joy Laverty, author of the guidebook, Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old? For the growing number of people who won't have family, the answer to that question is friends. She advocates reaching out to others, being an extrovert, and cultivating friendships throughout life. Who is going to take care of us today, psychologically and otherwise, financially, socially, is going to change. And it's going to evolve because we don't stay stagnant as people. And we are going to have friends that come and go, or even so-called friends, that really weren't meant to be by your side when the going got rough. So all of these are the issues of revolving relationships and letting that somehow be comfortable with it. But what if you're not an extrovert? What if you're more comfortable with a good book than a night out? Laverty says you still need to make the effort. There's nothing to say that we have to have a lot of friends to get through this to our old age. If that's the case, then you better have plenty of money because you can certainly pay for care. You can actually even pay to have somebody sit by your side when you're sick and in the process of dying. See, the thing about being a friend or expecting people to be there as your friend means we have to be a friend. And keep our promises, and do what we say we're going to do. That might mean that you let some people go in your life who are not really there to be your friend. That's another tough part of this whole journey. If you hang on to people who who aren't going to be there for you and you want somebody to be there, you might have to take a look at the quality of your friendships now and as they evolve over time. Making friends is key to aging alone and making plans so someone else isn't in charge of your welfare, someone who doesn't know you. Laverty says a lot of people are kicked into gear to start planning for themselves when they see the results of a lack of planning by one of their own family members. Several important topics have to be solved first. The number one question to ask and answer is, will I ever run out of money? That's where we need to start, is the money card. From there, we can talk about where we're going to live and possibly what am I going to do with all my stuff. Money for retirement can never be addressed too soon, as all those commercials for investment firms emphasize. As for where you live, Laverty agrees that it can be the source of incredible heartache. Aging people never want to leave where they consider home even if it's coming down around them. The house is aging, so things are beginning to fall apart. And it's like all kinds of trouble regarding aging in place. And yet, nine out of ten times, people say, I want to age in place. But that's pretty much possible up until a point. Unless you have gobs of money and you have all kinds of services that you can continuously figure out how to fix, and you have somebody else at some point hiring, firing, managing the, all these strangers who are coming into your house. That's what aging in place is. It's not impossible. 
it's not easy. Many people figure assisted living facilities are a good answer. However, Merriman says many people make assumptions about them, and they're often wrong. I was surprised, for example, to find out how little assistance is actually provided in a facility that is called assisted living. A more appropriate name might be supervised living. And so it's critically important to visit these places ahead of time, as far ahead of time as possible, and really find out what is involved in the care. But doing that, again, takes planning and making a concerted effort to take control of a passage that too often is neglected until it's too late. There's a lot of wishful thinking. We wish that we would be capable of living independently forever. And I think Another part of that is that not only are we a sort of a youth-obsessed society, but we're also a society that puts a very high value on independence. And there's this idea that we should always be able to take care of ourselves and that being dependent on others is weakness. I would like to begin to help to dispel that idea. I think there's a great value in what I would call healthy dependence and living in community with other people and knowing that you can rely on whether it's your family or your neighbors or the services in your community can be very comforting. Merriman says getting started can be the hardest part. She suggests simply googling Area Agency on Aging with your zip code to start understanding what's available. You can find links to the books Holding the Net and Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net. I'm Reed Pence. Radio Health Journal returns with medical notes in just a moment. Hepatocellular carcinoma, or HCC, is the most common type of liver cancer and the fastest growing cause of cancer death in the United States. Despite this, a new survey conducted by Bristol-Myers Squibb in collaboration with Blue Ferry, the Adrian Wilson Liver Cancer Association revealed that 90% of caregivers of liver cancer patients wished there was more public awareness of the seriousness of a liver cancer diagnosis, and 77% think it doesn't get as much attention as other cancers. Andrea Wilson is president and founder of Blue Ferry. Before my sister was diagnosed with HCC, I thought the only cause of liver cancer was alcoholism. These survey findings reinforce the need for greater awareness of liver cancer and also for more resources to help support caregivers and patients. To help address the needs caregivers identified in the survey, Bristol-Myers Squibb and Blue Ferry have launched LiverCancerOutlook.com, a website with information about the disease and links to patient and caregiver resources. For more information, visit LiverCancerOutlook.com. Medical Notes This Week about two-thirds of pregnant women in the United States use acetaminophen, but a new study suggests they may want to avoid it. The study in the journal Pediatrics shows that women who use acetaminophen long-term during pregnancy are more than twice as likely to have a child who later develops ADHD. Acetaminophen use before pregnancy showed no similar effect in women, but men who took the painkiller for at least a month leading up to conception produced children with a similar ADHD risk. COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease causes lung inflammation and has a high mortality rate. 
Steroids, which are often used to combat inflammation, don't work in COPD patients, leaving doctors with no effective treatment to stop its progress. But a study in the journal BMJ finds that a naturally derived compound from grapes can treat the inflammation of COPD. Researchers say it's very effective taken as a pill. Women who enter college majoring in scientific fields drop that major much more often than men, and experts have puzzled over how to keep them interested in science. Now a study in the journal PLOS1 suggests that women are falling victim to test anxiety. The study shows that when an entire semester's grades are based on just one or two high-stakes exams, women often choke on test anxiety. When grades are based on more frequent quizzes that each count for less, they often outperform men. And finally, if you want to smell the roses, try it toward the end of the day. A study in the journal Chemical Senses finds that the sensitivity of our sense of smell varies significantly throughout the day and is closely tied to circadian rhythms. Smell sensitivity is weakest in the early morning and strongest at about 9 o'clock at night. And that's Medical Notes this week. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.